welcome back to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth, the personal finance blogger right here in Aotearoa. And in this podcast, while I chat with a diverse bunch of people, I learn their story and then I condense it down into an essay so that you can hear helpful, relatable stories from Kiwis who are sharing their experiences, their tips and their point of view on personal finance here in New Zealand. So let's crack on. I chatted with Isabel and Sam, which are not their real names by the way, for almost three hours on a sunny Sunday afternoon in November. I was at home in central Otago and they were at home in the upper North Island. Now, as with all of these interviews, straight out of the gate, we were into the nuts and bolts of the financial lives of this 56 and 57 year old deeply in love couple who are parents to three adult tamariki. Now, two of them have already left the nest. One is teetering on the edge and about to spread their wings. Very handily, Sam had sent me a four-page vision board of their financial life and their journey, which gave me a bit of a heads up into the type of people that they are. And to sum it up, well, I'd say that they are creative planners who work as a tight team towards their goal of creating a really strong financial footing by the age of 60. He said that he is like a balloon, impulsive and trying to float off in random directions, while she is the rock who grounds him. Today, Sam is working as a career consultant and Isabel in administration, and both are finally hitting their financial stride as they work their way towards a retirement of plenty. Their intention is to reach what is referred to in the early retirement community as Coast Fire. I've taken this description from the new J.L. Collins book Pathfinders, and he describes it as when the money our money earns is enough to reach fire at a point in the future without the addition of new investment cash. This is the power of compounding at work, and by calculating its future date and matching it to the time you want to retire or not, you can stop saving and begin spending all of your current income. Your already invested money will take you to FI by itself. And for Sam and Isabel, the age that they will reach this point is about 60. But let's go back to what got them to this point, and before I move on, you know the drill. I've just got a quick message from today's sponsor. I'm a massive fan of creating multiple sources of income because I believe it makes you more financially resilient. However, you need to be sure that extra hours spent working on a side hustle translate into actual money in your pocket. Pocketsmith helps manage secondary income from a side hustle by integrating various financial accounts, providing customizable budgeting and cash flow forecasts, and offering a detailed dashboard unique to each side hustle for transaction management and net worth tracking. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, have we got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's foundation plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. Now, page one of Sam's vision board was called Oblivious in the Land of Plenty. And what they mean by this is that they both say they had a middle-class upbringing, relatively oblivious to what they had and what life cost growing up in different towns in the middle of the North Island. Sam was one of four kids, Isabel one of three, and money and how you get on in life was never talked about at home, and both had loving parents who worked hard but sometimes played a little too hard. To a point, any opportunity that presented itself to them was theirs for the taking, if they wanted it and were prepared to put in the mahi to achieve it. Sam's father had a business, 
and some grandiose ideas that it would produce more money than they could shake a stick at. But the reality was that it was up and down in terms of its success, while his mum held down a steady job cleaning. And it was hindsight that opened his eyes to the fact that in many ways, her largely unrecognised efforts formed a stable backbone to put Kai on the family table. But there were times when they went into debt to provide for the family, not that he was made aware of it at the time. From about the age of 12, both Sam and Isabel began to earn their own money, working all manner of jobs like doing a milk run, picking, packing and selling fruit, working in a dairy and a stint at a chemist, and it basically gave them both pocket money for lollies. And as they got older, the jobs required a bit more from them and paid much better too. Sam spent a number of summers picking up rubbish for a local council, working in forestry, and then he worked a bit with his dad, who was a miner. Now, despite money conversations not happening at home, his parents taught him lessons in more subtle ways, and Sam recalls he was helping his dad out once when he noticed, but walked past, 10 cents lying on the ground. And his dad stopped him and told him never to be too proud to pick up found money, even if it was just 10 cents, and that you should never take money for granted. Now, that wee story reminded me of a similar conversation I had with my daughter when she was about 10 years old. I'd picked her up from school one day, and we were walking home, and we happened to notice a group of her classmates struggling with putting money back in their pockets after having stopped at the dairy to buy lollies. One of them managed to drop all of their copper and silver coins on the ground, but they didn't even bother stooping to collect them, instead saying small coins are a waste of time. However, their friend at the rear did. He spent a good 10 seconds gathering them all up. It was probably about a dollar's worth. And I asked my daughter who she thought would end up wealthy. Definitely the last kid was her thought. All money has value is the moral of the story. But back to Sam and Isabel though. Basically, they both felt they always had plenty and were more or less oblivious, they said, as to where the money came from to keep the family sheltered and fed. And Sam in particular He used a lot of family phrases, and one memory of that time was the phrase, your last shirt has no pockets, meaning that you can't take money with you when you die, so you might as well spend it. So even though Sam's dad encouraged him to pick up found money, the purpose of money was to buy material things, he said. One large expense for Sam's parents was actually to pay for him to go to Wellington and attend a boarding school for five years, and it was again only later that he realised that his parents were paying off those debts long after he finished school, so the cost of his education was never spoken about. Both Isabel and Sam ended up studying at Massey University in the mid to late 80s, and they were both the first from their families to study at a tertiary level. And heading off to study was an easy choice for Sam. His dad had lined him up with a job at a local bakery, but his mate had said to him, I'd just come to university with me and party. So in hindsight, given he now works as a career advisor, This was not the best way to plan a career, but off to uni he went. And when advising young people what to do when they finish high school these days, Sam's opinion is that we are wrong to expect them, young people, to make such a critical decision about what they want to do in life so early in their vocational development. Some just know, but many don't. So why spend all that dosh on study when for many they make the wrong study choice? which is what, in hindsight, he did. His advice is that a gap year, not a sit-on-the-couch year, is a huge advantage in narrowing down what you are interested in. Take a year to try as many different things as possible 
and be adventurous, curious, and above all, explore what the world has to offer. And his view on career planning is that he thinks it should go hand in hand with financial planning. He thinks of careers not as jobs, but rather as sources of income, and you want to have as much diversification and therefore potential sources of income as you can. Isabel studied social work, earning a Bachelor of Social Work, and Sam, town planning, and he earned a Bachelor of Regional Planning. He took five years to complete his four-year degree. She did her four-year degree in four years, and they met in the final year of study. When they studied at university, education was free and student loans did not exist. They had to pay for food and accommodation, but it was a lot cheaper. So you didn't begin your young life saddled with debt as you do today. And looking back, they feel they were the lucky generation because everything that they felt they wanted to do was within their reach without being restricted by the cost of doing it. Now with children of their own studying at a tertiary level, they can see the stark contrast between then and now. Before beginning to study, they both worked to save up as much money as they could, and they each returned home in the holidays to work in any full-time job that they could find, and both also worked during the academic year, Isabel mostly at Pizza Hut and Sam cleaning private houses. Now, I've always thought that if I had my time again, I'd clean private houses or work as a gardener. The money is good and you can work around your own lecture timetable. So for any student out there listening to this, get out there and give it a go yourself. They finished studying around 1990 and now a couple, they moved to Wellington, where she didn't use her degree at all, working in the library of the city's major newspaper, the Evening Post instead, earning about 25 grand a year. And he worked, he said, as a relatively average town planner for the city council, earning about $38,000 a year. And next, they entered what they called the exploring years. With no debt, good qualifications, and now good jobs, they spent two years saving their guts out so that they could head overseas and travel. And now a team with the goal to travel in mind, they both saved hard but separately during that time. Now, two and a half years after they met and a mere week into their international travels, they found that having separate money was a real pain in the butt to manage while on the go. So they combined their money and it's been that way ever since. And I remember when Johnny and I reached that decision, it was at the checkout at the Kilburnie Pack and Save in Wellington where we were doing some fast math to split the bill and simply decided it felt ridiculous to do so and we combined our money soon after. So I asked these two to tell me more about getting over the hurdle of combining finances because it seems to be a bit of a big deal for many, particularly if they've come together later in life. Well, put simply, they decided that they were a team in everything, including their putia. While she was the better budgeter and found saving easier, he used his creative skills to create vision boards about where they might travel, how much it might cost, etc. And he would create visual thermometers of how much money they would need to save up. So just think of those like community fundraisers where they have that giant thermometer with a financial target that they are working their way towards. The images he created were just like that. They had, and they still use, a picture to represent a savings goal. While each still kept their individual financial talents, two heads were better than one when it came to planning ahead. Over the years, their incomes have seesawed, with each of them out-earning the other from time to time. So it was easier for them to think about we and their combined household income instead of just I. In fact, one image on his vision board that he emailed to me shouts, we are a team, 
And if that's not a good advertisement for combined finances, well, I'm not sure what is. The three years overseas was on a cycle of stop and work for a while and earn some money, blow money on fabulous adventures, and then repeat. And they worked in the city and in the countryside, in pubs and offices, as caregivers or security guards, even on a kibbutz, and even as servants for an incredibly wealthy family. And managing money became a team sport as they developed their money muscle and paying attention to their money. But it was always for these short-term goals, with no money ever being set aside for the future. When they had returned to Aotearoa and when Isabel became a stay-at-home parent, which Sam admits gave him the luxury of focusing on his career, managing the money fell to her and the conversations between the two of them were just around broad money topics as things cropped up. And this carried on for years this way and they gently made headway with their money, always having enough money coming in to cover bills going out and pay their mortgage. But in 2019, just before COVID-19 hit, Sam lost his job. Now, reading The Barefoot Investor around this time, it gave them a nudge to refocus on their money. And there's nothing like the imminent loss of a paycheck to make you stop cruising with your pussy and just sit up and take a bit more notice instead. They knew they had to be really certain about how much they were spending, and they began to really focus on it, really cutting out all unnecessary expenses to preserve some cash and sitting down weekly to discuss their money. And fortunately, he received a redundancy payout and he got another job very quickly, which averted disaster. But they'd had a wake-up call. And from that point on, they have had a weekly sit-down, usually on a Sunday, when they take a moment to go over the family finances, looking at who spent what, what bills are coming up, and how much they are saving and investing. Now, this is a key ingredient in their success, and I've noted that couples who are more financially successful, will always commit to regular financial check-ins. This job loss also coincided with Sam wanting to learn a new skill and master Excel spreadsheeting. Such fun, for which he needed a subject matter. Well, money was an easy choice, and the two of them combined their interests and varied financial skills in a regular correro about their putia. Isabel had always been writing down what they earned and spent, And when he came on board with his newfound Excel skills and fancy spreadsheeting, which he now refers to as a thing of beauty, well, it elevated it to the next level. We talked about budgeting and how they do it because everyone is different. They now record all of their spending and income and plan for upcoming expenses. They track their net worth. They have set up a barefoot investor type plan with buckets. Income goes into their daily expenses account and it is distributed out to other accounts which they call their smile and fire extinguisher accounts. They know the maximum amount that each bucket needs, and then any extra is diverted off to continue to top up their emergency fund and KiwiSaver accounts, and to a lesser degree, their riskier investment, Bitcoin, which I'll come to shortly. They also save up for specific one-off events, such as a bathroom upgrade, and when they have the cash saved up, then they do the work. They also specifically budget some money to help their kids, two of whom are studying and one who will study soon enough. And this money might also be spent on things like flights home for the kids. But once again, because I'm the world's worst interviewer, I've jumped ahead. So let's go back a little. After three fantastic years of seeing as many countries as possible, they came home to New Zealand and they were aged 28 and 29. For every adventure, he had drawn a plan and created a vision board and they achieved it every time. 
and they returned home with a head full of memories and no money. So next they entered what they called their survival but fun years. They made a deal that whoever got the best job first would dictate where they both went. Isabel did, becoming a social worker in the Upper North Island, so he tagged along and volunteered in career planning until he got work as a security guard. They kept their spending as low as they possibly could, and they began to save their guts out again so that they could save the deposit to buy a home. It took them two full years, but in 1997, they paid $125,000 for a two-bedroom home. And it was after they had settled in that he was actually to receive a $30,000 inheritance from the death of a family member. And they dropped the entire amount on their mortgage, reducing what they owed. They had their first child in that home before selling it in 2001. And they decided to rent until they could plan their next move. And during this time, they had a second child. And also, they actually went to visit a financial planner and ask a few questions about how to build wealth. They had their house deposit in the bank, money coming in from his job, and they wanted to know what to do with it. This visit to a financial planner was in part due to a conversation that they'd had with an Australian guy who they met in London, who had decided that he planned to invest all his income in the share market, never buy a house, but instead use the returns on his investments to pay his rent. And it made a lot of sense to them, and the financial advisor didn't deter them either. It was a workable plan. But the fact that the house they rented was damp, and their second child had developed asthma because of it, well, they decided that they missed the security of being in their own home, and they decided to buy a home again instead, meaning no share market investments for them. Prior to purchasing, they met with a second financial advisor who told them to stretch themselves financially and spend more on a house but put down roots and live in it for as long as they could. Well, they did that, paying $271,000 in 2004 for the home that they remain living in today. Their mortgage was $163,000, which they increased up to $225,000 so that they could do some repairs and upgrades. Now, a fun fact was that the house they paid $271,000 for had been bought by the previous owner just 18 months prior for $190,000, so it increased in value $81,000 in that short space of time. It seems that not much appears to have changed in the housing market. At the same time that they purchased what they called the most expensive house, they also bought a second-hand car and they kept that for 16 years. More recently, they have upgraded their car again and they're feeling pretty flash in their new-to-them 2005 Toyota. Cars are just not their thing, they said, and I'm happy to hear that because they can be absolute money pits if you let them. Soon after moving into their new home, they completed their whānau with their third child. The financial advisor they met had also pointed out a couple of other things that they should really consider. One was to set up education funds for their children, and the other was to start saving for retirement. Retirement? No chance. It was just too far away to think about, Isabel said. Ultimately, they didn't do either because they were now in the mad years of life with three little kids, a mortgage and a single wage from Sam's career consultancy role, with occasional part-time income from Isabel's administration work coming into the bank account. They simply didn't have any spare cash, she said, but when she thinks back now, she could have spared some and she should have siphoned off some money each week even if it was only $10 to put towards those two important things. They could have made this happen, 
but they decided it was not important. And this is a lesson she will tell her kids, she said. And they could have found the money because Isabel is very thrifty. She gets a rush out of finding something she needs at the hospice shop for $5. And Sam's not paid for a haircut in 25 years, opting to shave his head instead. They lived within their means, something they think they were hardwired to do. And in hindsight, they could have used their heads to direct a little to savings. It sounded like they lived a very pared back life, bare bones existence if you like, but I needed to know where they found joy in life because no one listening to this really wants to hear that you get wealthy by having no fun. Well, fear not, they told me that they have plenty of fun and they always have, but their fun doesn't ever cost much and it never has. A case in point was that a few hours before our Carrero, they'd actually just returned home from two nights camping the total cost of their entire weekend was about $150, and they'd had a fantastic time. Sure, they said you do need the gear for that, but they've acquired it over many years, and once you have it, you have it. Nights out, they do happen, but they are a luxury, and they really look forward to and enjoy them. And it might not be what a cafe owner wants to hear, but a nice loaf of bread and a lovely coffee at home mean more to them than a $25 lunch out. And what brings them more joy is the routine of getting up early at about 5.30am and heading out the door for a walk in nature together. That is their time together and it's exercise that they can do for free. And it's kind of lost on them why you would pay money to go to a gym when you can get your full quota of exercise in or around your own home. In 2018, Anna's life progressed and they continued the grind of paying off their mortgage and paying off their credit card in full each month. They just started to get really sick of debt. So they hatched a plan to try to hammer out the mortgage and get it paid off completely. So as I've already mentioned, because they had this goal in place, when he was made redundant in 2019 and he got a $30,000 payout, well, they dropped it straight onto the mortgage. Now, this shows a couple with a plan. And if you don't have a plan for your money and a lump sum payment appears like that, or you'll just fritter it away until it's gone. And I've watched countless people do that. They spend more time buying things than buying their freedom, but not so for these two. Life ticked along towards this goal until it didn't. In 2021, Sam, who was aged 54 by this stage, he was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a type of cancer that forms in the lymph system. And boom, life stopped abruptly. And this health issue, it really put things into sharp focus for them both. And of course, throw into the mix a global pandemic, which actually turned into a bit of a bonus, he said. Cancer was a lemon, but they made a lot of lemonade because he had a whole year to spend time with his wife. Plus, appointments that they had to travel to Auckland for meant there was no traffic because people were staying home. And they also had a lot of luck that appointments managed to fall around lockdowns, and the experience was actually okay, he said. Now, despite my flippant talk about making lemonade and avoiding traffic, Sam was initially devastated by his cancer diagnosis and created a vision board for the journey that he knew he had ahead of him, which helped him cope and plan, which is such a great idea because he said it was a huge time of vulnerability for him. He was working for a government department at the time and his employers were fantastic, supporting him in every way they could and also providing sick leave until his income protection insurance kicked in three months after his cancer diagnosis. They had set this stand-down period to reduce their monthly premiums, 
And incidentally, he had been planning to cancel his insurance policy, but he had been procrastinating in doing so. And thankfully, his procrastination really paid off, with his policy paying him 80% of his $92,000 salary for the entire length of his one year of treatment. When his treatment stopped, meaning he was well enough to return to work, so did his insurance. And although he was able to return to work, his body is still recovering from the ordeal. Isabel does not carry income protection insurance, but has trauma cover instead. While they had a financial plan before cancer, getting that diagnosis really made them put a foot on the accelerator and prompted them to step up a gear and manage their money better than they ever had before. Getting cancer definitely made everything come into a far clearer focus, which brings me on to page three of the vision board that he sent me, a page he has termed Ninja Bootcamp. Isabel in particular ran a very tight financial ship, particularly after the cancer diagnosis, focusing on aggressively paying off the debt, plus saving and investing. Maybe even a little too tight, she said, and it was reading Scott Pape's book, The Barefoot Investor, she said that gave her the green light to loosen up and spend some money. Now, I mentioned they were investing. They might not have taken the advice of the financial advisor way back in the mid-2000s, but they didn't forget the conversation and had begun a few things. In November 2021, 24 long years after taking out their first mortgage, they withdrew some money from an investment, and more on that in a moment, and made their last mortgage payment, which was a huge weight lifted from them. Their home is now valued at $850,000, and today they have a combined gross income of $170,000 a year and can live on $50,000 a year after tax. So having no mortgage payments, mean they have a lot of spare money that they can invest or save. They try to save and invest 50% of their take-home pay, and most weeks they are bang on that. Other weeks, the house might need a bit of DIY or something else pops up, but their goal is to invest at least $4,000 a month on top of their 8-10% to KiwiSaver contributions. They also have a third source of income in addition to their jobs. They have a studio apartment within their home that they rent out for $320 a week. Plus, prior to cancer, Sam was also doing some paid freelance consulting work that he may yet return to. So they are doing a lot with their money these days, now that their mortgage is gone. They've been building up an emergency fund which has a current balance of $30,000 and their intention is to grow that up to $50,000. They keep this in the Heartland Bank savings account with a current interest rate of 5.2%. This would represent one full year of expenses And I think that as a cancer survivor, these two fully appreciate the peace that having money in the bank can give you when you are in the midst of a crisis. They understand that the list of dramas that can come your way is never ceasing and it pays to be prepared. Each of them signed up to KiwiSaver a number of years ago. And as the children grew up and began to leave home or be better able to look after themselves, Isabel returned to work in an administrator role and began to play catch up with her KiwiSaver after all those years of being a stay-at-home mum and not making high voluntary contributions herself. Her KiwiSaver is with Simplicity in a growth fund, and she had a balance when we spoke of $93,000. Now, I had thought her balance was quite high given the length of time that she spent out of the workforce. Just one year ago, her balance was at $48,000, but they decided to really stash some cash and build up the balance as quickly as they could and they have successfully managed to do that. Her view is that by investing more heavily in KiwiSaver, 
which is locked in until 65, she is preventing Sam from spending it all on other investments, namely new cryptocurrency coins. In fact, his one regret is that when he received his $30,000 redundancy, that he didn't buy one particular coin which was valued at $0.03 and has since risen to $3. Sam said it a number of times. He is prone to veering all over the place, but Isabel holds him on a more steady course. Sam has two retirement funds. One is a KiwiSaver fund with a balance of $55,000 and it's with Kura. He chose them because they have a fund that allows you to invest up to 10% of your money into Bitcoin, something he is quite, um, should I say, very passionate about doing. And his other retirement fund is a state sector retirement savings scheme because he is a government employee and it has a $70,000 balance. They think of their retirement assets as being in three different pots. Two they can't access until 65, one that they can. And I asked why they are choosing to tie additional funds up into KiwiSaver. And she gave me the answer that I was kind of hoping to hear. She reiterated that by doing so, it keeps it in a place where it can't be touched. They know they will have a good chunk of money available to them at 65 and beyond. And their goal is to build the balance of each up to $150,000 as fast as possible. So $450,000 in total, which they will then let ride. They intend to have this done on or around the age of 60. As they near 65 years of age, they are still working it all out, but they think that they intend to have one in an aggressive fund, one in a balanced fund, or a middle-of-the-road type fund, and one in a conservative fund. Then, they intend to pull money from the conservative fund, which is the one likely to be more stable, to top up their superannuation, while leaving the others to grow longer term, which they will do because they are more exposed to the share market. The other major investment, and the one I've been hinting at, is Bitcoin, which had a balance of $174,000 when we spoke. Now there's a surprise, don't you think? And I don't want to be ageist, but they don't fit the usual demographic for cryptocurrency investors. So I was curious as to how it came about. Isabel was working for a guy who was hugely entrepreneurial and was a very early investor in Bitcoin. And at their workplace, he was constantly listening to podcasts about it, constantly talking about it, and also regularly buying what appeared to her to be this crazy concept. She would tell Sam about these conversations, and he began to be interested too. But they ignored the urge to invest as the value of the coins rose steadily throughout 2017. And they also watched its huge drop in 2018 before finally investing. Immediately after a particularly sharp drop, they invested $1,000 in 2019. They bought when it was valued at about $5,000 New Zealand dollars a coin. And while some might take up a hobby such as golf or pottery, they took up learning as much as they could about Bitcoin. They thought, let's join this wild ride. Because they now had some money in the game, and it was a speculative game that they were playing, they started to learn by reading, watching YouTube, and listening to podcasts. And for Sam in particular, this new hobby felt like he was traveling all over the world again, as he watched the evolution and impact this whole new way of thinking about money was having in different parts of the world. It made him really curious and deeply interested in the concept of money and the banking systems, and he's been learning ever since. They kept on tipping money in little by little, and over a four-year period invested $65,000 of their own money, 
And when I said that they paid off their mortgage, well, this is where that final lump sum of $30,000 to clear their debt came from. They sold $30,000 New Zealand dollars worth of Bitcoin to make it happen, meaning that they now have $35,000 of their own money still invested in Bitcoin, which, as I mentioned, had a value as of November 2023 of $174,000. For those interested in investing in cryptocurrency, their firm view is that you only put in what you are prepared to lose. They are content with $30,000 exposed to a risky, speculative, yet potentially extremely profitable investment, and it seems to be working out well for them. They said that Bitcoin fluctuates so much that it can play with your head, and when I was creating this podcast, it was at $62,000 New Zealand dollars a coin, meaning that they own about two and a half Bitcoin. He described it as a ferocious investment that they are both super aware is a super risky asset, but he said he would not be surprised to see it tip over 100,000 New Zealand dollars a coin at some stage. And I wonder what their long-term plans were for this investment, and their reply was a long, hmm, they were not entirely sure, and they said that while the Bitcoin in his KiwiSaver is taxed as they go along, they will need to pay tax on their Bitcoin if they sell it. Now, I was unaware of this, but the IRD website says that crypto assets are treated as a form of property for tax purposes. It depends on their income tax bracket how much it will be. This makes them mindful of selling, and it makes them unsure how they might use it in the future to top up their income. They do also invest in four other cryptocurrencies in a much smaller way, and for now they are happy to watch the evolution of it unfold, in the hope that it has significant price gains. They are still working out how it will fit with their long-term strategy. So what exactly is their overall long-term strategy? Well, becoming debt-free was definitely part of their overall plan. So that has a big tick beside it as having been completed. And they can't stress enough the freedom you feel when you don't owe the bank money. They will never, ever go into debt again, they said. And I personally think that there has to be a point in life where we commit to that statement. Otherwise, you will drag a mortgage around with you forever. Johnny and I have been debt-free for 17 years now, and we just up and decided one day that for whatever we want to do in life, debt is simply not an option. And it makes planning clearer, I find. When their mortgage got down to that final 30 grand, she used to say, ah, it's so small, let's just keep it there and invest the money instead which is an argument that you commonly hear, but forget the math, it was pure psychology for Sam. Debt straight up messed with his head. He was sick of owing other people money, plus he had a healthy dislike of the banking industry. He can be a little anti-establishment, he said. So no mortgage means not being dependent, and it feels so fantastic to both of them now. Their pay comes into their bank, and they get to determine what they do with it. They are playing catch-up at the moment, so are saving as hard as they can, and their goal is to have half a million dollars invested by the time he turns 60 in 2027. They currently have $372,000 invested and a high savings and investment rate of almost $50,000 a year, so I think they will smash out their goal. They keep a close eye on what they have in each asset and will continue to pour money into each until they hit their number. As I mentioned, they want to increase their emergency funds from 30000 up to 50000 and they're working on it. And plus, they will continue to own the home they're in. And their goal is to get to 60 and 59 and work how they want to work. 
They both enjoy their jobs and they have no plans to stop, but they might decrease their hours if they choose to. The point being that they are actively creating options for themselves, but basically, once they have tipped over the half a million invested mark, they know that they could, in theory, reduce the hours they work because they will no longer need to direct so much of their income into those investments. Once those investments are fully stocked, they will then begin to grow and compound on their own. And that's the beauty of investing in the share markets via KiwiSaver and the like. Once they reach those targets, they know they can, in theory, earn a lot less and still pay their bills of about 50 grand a year. And then, of course, once they turn 65, they will begin to collect government superannuation, meaning that they can either choose to work a little or draw a little from their investments each fortnight to top up their income. They are creating options for themselves. And because none of us can predict the future, creating multiple avenues that you could turn down is an excellent way to plan. So it's a pretty good plan, one that they have begun to develop further since reading two books by Martin Hawes called 20 Good Summers and his more recent one called Cracking Open the Nest Egg. Plus, those wise words of one of my favourite Kiwis, Mary Holm, have also helped them formulate a plan. Plus, they enjoy the New Zealand Everyday Investor podcast because he is one of the few financial guys who's really into crypto and the podcast What Bitcoin Did with Peter McCormack is also a favourite. Plus, last but not least, Mr Money Mustache is a great resource for them too. Now when I asked the question of what they would do if each received 10 grand, I got two quite different answers. Isabel would put some in her KiwiSaver, some in Sam's, and some into Bitcoin. Sam said that the Bitcoin price was looking pretty good today, and he would put it all in there. Well Sam, I did some research, and I hate to tell you this, but I checked back, and you were wrong the day we spoke. The price peaked at 63361 a coin, and when I wrote this episode just two days later, it was down $1,163 to $62,198. So in hindsight, you should have purchased three days before we spoke when the price was $60,935. Overall though, for 2023, it does appear to be climbing. What's the point of me saying all that? Man, that Bitcoin price is volatile. You two sure have chosen a wild ride indeed with this type of investment and good luck is all that I can say and I can see why you find it so entertaining. What about their biggest financial triumph? Is there something they think they have done particularly well? Each thinks that it is how they've created a diversified investment portfolio and grown their net worth to $1,272,000. They have done this because they own their own house and that house generates a weekly income. They have three pots of money for retirement, plus another asset in the form of crypto, and they have cash in the bank for a rainy day, and they have a good household income that covers their daily spending and leaves plenty to invest. As a careers person, he thinks there is value in finding multiple sources of income, and I agree. But one of their greater triumphs, and one they probably didn't expect, was that they have no financial stress. He could lose his job tomorrow, as he has once before and he knows they would be fine, or if either hated their job, they could leave. That fills up the happiness bucket, Sam said, and he said that living the way they do and moving towards financial freedom has become a hobby and a way of living that they both love. He said he's become a happy saver, and I quite like that. They feel that all of a sudden they have gained some traction with their money. And what about their biggest money flop? That's Bitcoin, in a way, they said. 
At one point, they invested a lump sum of $10,000, and sorry to switch currency on you for a moment, and I hope you can keep up. The narrative online was that it was going to rise to $100,000 a coin, and they bought it when it was at $56,000, more or less at its all-time peak of $64,000 a coin, but then it plummeted down to $16,000 a coin US over time, and it never regained that peak. What they learned was to ladder in and ladder out, by which they mean to invest or sell smaller amounts over a period of time. Cryptocurrency is brutal, he said, but at the end of the day, others buy a $30,000 vehicle, which is only ever going to go down in value, so although they got stung at the time, overall, they're happy. Now, as I near the end, I wanted to quickly ask him about the tamariki, who range in ages between 19 and 23. As a family, they have often talked about their finances, but their kids just don't want to know about it. And when their dad starts in on Bitcoin, well, that is the fastest way to clear a room, he said. Mention Bitcoin and people tend to run a mile, and I bet they never thought that their father would become a bit of a crypto bro. As parents, they would love to have more conversations about Putia, and they just have to hope that their kids might want to hear it one day. Now, I think they've left their run a little bit late. Conversations and education, they need to start at home when children are really, really young. But it's still never too late, in my opinion. And I think that in a situation like this, now that their kids are actually adults themselves, you just have to lead by example, be good managers of your own money, and be open about what you're doing. Much like they ignored the advice of the financial advisor all those years ago, well, they didn't forget what she said. They just took a while to apply the advice to their own situation. And that may well be the case for their children. They bought each child the Barefoot Investor book in the hope of grabbing their attention and they will always be supportive of and available to their children whenever their help is asked for. But for now, they are sitting back and watching their adult children navigating life as these two once navigated their own as they left home. In his career advisory work, Sam readily mentions good money management when it feels appropriate, particularly for those transitioning from one career to another and especially if it's against their will to change. He advises them to have an emergency fund set up to cover gaps in employment, and he has noted that for those who don't have an emergency fund, sooner or later they will hit a period of immense stress, so he does share resources and send links and articles during career planning sessions with his clients. So I'm nearing the end, and before I wrap up, I just have another quick message from today's sponsor. If your finances are holding you back from living the life you want, try Pocketsmith out. They've got the tools to help you make money management easier. And have we got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's foundation plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. First up, I just wanted to thank both Isabel and Sam for their time. I enjoyed the chat. And apart from the crypto aspect, which I was still delighted to hear about, I saw a lot of similarities between them and Johnny and I. Despite playing the roulette wheel that is crypto, in the hope of making the big bucks, their goal is not to be rich as such, but to build their version of enough. And I thought I'd finish out this episode by drawing on the notes from the last page of their vision board, which they called Learnings from Lucky Us. They have worked out that they don't need a lot of money to be happy. About $50,000 a year is enough. They keep an eye on how much they earn and spend 
So their intention is actually not to accumulate more money in investments than they will actually need. I pointed out to them both that they will get a lot of enjoyment by reading the book Die With Zero by Bill Perkins, as this is exactly what he writes about. Don't spend your time at work making money that you are never going to spend. Work out how much is enough. Vision boards and mapping out their plans in a visual way has been a really useful tool for slightly dyslexic but goal-orientated Sam, and more recently, in their 50s, they have created some that focus specifically on money, because by doing so, they know that they can continue to have adventures well into the future. In saying that though, they both try to live life like each day is their last one. After all, money has little worth if you don't have your health and your good relationships. It's particularly fortunate that their simple way of living and getting out and enjoying nature is pretty much free. Having spent their younger years studying, travelling and then getting busy with children and life, preserving Putia for their future was not really top of mind, but it is now. And as lifelong learners, learning how to rock a good spreadsheet has definitely helped steer this team of two in the right direction. Because they are so disciplined, hitting their 50% savings and investing target each month will absolutely see them hit their goals. Although as a team they are disciplined, Sam's downfall is that he is still very impulsive, but that's why they make a good team. Isabel gives him an inch, but stops him taking a mile, thus ruining their plans. And a big part of staying healthy is constantly feeding their brains with more learning, and that is what crypto has offered Sam in particular a chance to try something new which has conveniently helped diversify their investments. These multiple sources of income will set them up well as they near retirement and heck, I agree with them both that in this instance a little bit of crypto is quite okay. It's working for them which has made a nice change from all the others I've met that it hasn't worked for. Their final point is that neither are trying to become rich. Not that that's a bad thing, They are simply trying to simplify their lives, which just happens to save money, while creating enough assets to supply them with enough money to achieve their main goal. And they told me that of all the things they are aiming for, they have one huge goal. All they want is each other and time. And I told you they are in love. What a cute couple. So that's all from me this week. If you want to get in touch, you know you can find me at thehappysaver.com. Also, I'm beginning to plan out future episodes, so if you think you have a story that will encourage and help others, drop me an email telling me a little about yourself. I'm always looking for a wide range of people to interview, whether young or old, as long as you have a positive story to tell with tips and tricks that will help others. I would love to kōrero. And please, you know it, do share this podcast and my blog, The Happy Saver, with your friends. If money is an awkward topic in your friend group, this podcast is a good way to break the ice and begin a conversation. Because ultimately, I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and whānau and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving.